Thank you for listening to Sheep Among Wolves. I'm your host here. I'm Sam, and I'm with my co-host, George. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe or follow the channel. And if you like the content, go ahead and give us a like. Now, I have some exciting news. Our short film is out, Life Under the Great Reset, and you can watch it at Great Oak Productions on YouTube, BitChute, or Rumble. And you can even get it at our Facebook group, at Great Oak Productions. I'm really excited about that film. It's getting a lot of views, and we have it out on audio on our platform here, but it's a lot better if you go and watch it. In this episode, we are continuing on our series here on the Great Reset versus the Great Awakening. And in this episode, we get into the beginning of our monetary system and how that impacts how we go forward into this great reset. As always, you can get our newest content on our pages. Just go to Act Great Oak Productions. So here is part three of our series, Great Reset versus The Great Awakening. Something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and the number is 600. And 66. Sheep among wolves. All right, we are back here and we have gone through all of the awakenings and we are now up to the current period. And uh, before we get into that, I want to kind of explain a theory that has been uh, rumbling around my head and what I've kind of come up with here. And this is the understanding of major cycles. And the first one is this uh, 500-year cycle, which we kind of touched on, which is that uh, 72-year cycle of man with a 10-year war cycle. But what you have then is you have basically seven of the 72-year cycles with 10. So it's basically 500 to 580 years. And that would be a major empire cycle. And we see that in the first century from Christ, which is for about 500 years, you had this Roman empire. And then that went away. And then another period of 500 years uh, came into existence until around the uh, thousand where you had the Crusades. And that created this whole Muslim versus Christian period that you had, or what you would call the dark ages. And that kind of came out of existence in the 1500s when you had the Protestant revolution. And then of course you had the moving of Europe across the world, primarily through the East and West India company, where you had the merchants, the British merchants would go out into the world and that started what the period we are under now, which then, of course, America was formed under that. We are now coming to the end of that cycle. Well, in the midst of that, there's also a thousand year cycle, which in ancient 
at times, if you use a thousand, it really means a heavenly or a religious oriented cycle. And we see that in Revelation where they talk about the thousand year reign. Well, that's a heavenly reign. That's a reign of a spiritual as opposed to an empire of man. And we see that in a thousand where you had the split between the Roman church, the Catholic church, and then you had the Greek Orthodox and they split around a thousand and that started a new cycle. And then you have a broader cycle beyond that, which is this 2000 year cycle, which correlates to a really big cycle, which is about 26,000 and which is the Zodiac cycle. And I understand people, when you say Zodiac, I'm not talking about astrology here. I'm talking about astronomy. Mm -hmm. And that is where our solar system, our sun moves through these constellations because the zodiac is really just constellations in the sky. And our sun moves through that over a 26,000 year cycle. And what we had back when Christ was born was a new cycle beginning. And that was where it was moving into the Pisces cycle, which is part of the reason why Christians are part of the fish is because Christ in astrotheology was associated with Pisces. He was, you know, a sign in the constellation because our sun was moving through Pisces. And what we have now, 2000 years later, is we're beginning to move out of Pisces into Aquarius. And so that's a even a broader sense. So this period of 2020 is really a culmination of all these coming together, a 500 year cycle, a thousand year cycle, a 2,000-year cycle, and even possibly a 26,000-year cycle, which could be the new heaven and new earth, or it could be in the next cycle. We don't know. Nobody knows the day or the hour. That's why I believe this time period right now is this time that John was talking about in Revelation. I want to kind of get your take on that because again, you come from it a little bit different than I do. I come from it, you know, from this direction, but you and I pretty much come to the same conclusion yeah. just from two different directions. Yes. So what, what's your understanding of that? It pretty well fits with a lot of what I believe and what I've studied. The fact that this is all coming to a head is playing itself out in the current events that we see. There's so many of these things that are coming together that 50 years ago, when we talked about it, I was just beginning to see all that. And you had to have real faith to believe that some of these things could really happen. And yes, here we are, and it's happening. We talk about the thousand years. We had mentioned about the, uh, that it was counterfeit, the thousand years. Primarily, we've heard of it, especially our generation, my generation, that uh, Hitler wanted to have the Fourth Reich of a thousand years. There are indications that there are people that are still trying to have that thousand year, but it is a counterfeit of the thousand year reign of Christ. As you know, I've come at it more from the literal, the actual thousand years that we'll probably have. You you mentioned something to me when, when we were talking about talking tonight, uh, really resonated with me. And uh, that is that this, we, we're talking about the Great Reset versus the Great Awakening. And of course, we're talking about the spiritual forces of God and Christ and the angels against the principalities and the powers and Satan. 
and these two are coming together and, and we're seeing a lot of those results. But one thing you said was that this great reset is really just a renaming of what we've talked about for basically all your life. I, I've talked about it since the 60s. Yeah, it's a rebranding of the uh, new world order. Yeah, rebranding of the new world order. What in the world is a new world order? You've heard all that terminology. We heard that when President Bush talked about it in the year 2000. Basically, it's a coming. That was his father, actually. Yeah, it was earlier. It was his father. That was his father. Yeah, it was the first Bush. But there's really three parts. You're going to see a merging of countries into a a one world government. That means, uh, and we'll talk about this more in depth, but that, that basically means that one government will have control over the whole world. Um, you, you'll have to do what they say, or you won't live. And there will be a one world economy. And that means that the economic systems will be tied together completely. And they have been trying to do this. We, they call it globalization. And we saw a breaking of that off over the last four years with President Trump. And now if things go the way it looks like they're going to, that's going to be pulled back together. They're already talking about undoing everything that President Trump did to break that apart and make it a nationalism and bring it back to a globalism. That's a one world economy under one economic system. And the third component of this is a one world religion. And we already see that right now, most of the religions of the world are cooperating quite nicely, except the one thorn on their side, which is called Christianity. Well, parts of Christianity, because uh, under the new Pope, Catholicism is definitely moving toward that direction. Yeah, definitely moving toward that. He's already publicly stated that several times. That, yeah, he's uh, a Jesuit, so yes. he has been a Jesuit from South America, and he's big into liberation theology. And he has been pushing this global world order, especially in religion, because he's he's actually reaching out to the Muslim world and trying to connect the two. So it's some of the other religion or other Christian denominations and faith communities that are pushing against this globalism. Yes. And we'll see that tension continue until no longer strong enough to fight against what's coming which is a one world system. And as I say, it makes up of the, of the three major parts, religion, economic, and government. And this great reset is basically, as you say, a rebranding of that, that just goes into a little bit more detail and it's more open as to what they're attempting to do. Yeah, we, we see this from both a spiritual and, and from the fact that you and I have been in business for all these years. Yeah, both, working and, and of course, teaching. The first thing is we want to introduce a lot of what we're going to talk about here. You can get this on the World Economic Forum or Council, uh, their website. They're very open about this. And that is what we would call Davos, the Davos group. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is a group of basically elites, uh, world leaders the top CEOs of all the major corporations, media, everything. 
they all meet together once a year, actually a couple times a year, but they have a big meeting once a year. And it's kind of under the umbrella of the World Economic Forum or the WEF. And if you actually go online right now, a lot of what we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes, and you'll see that online, it's, it's pretty impressive, actually. If you go online, they have a, it's, it's almost like a wheel of, I think it's like 300 different areas. You talk about detail. This is one of the most detailed pieces of literature I've seen. I mean, they have really thought of every single uh, line item piece that you can think of in our world. This is not just loosely put together. They have been working on this for years, if not decades, right? maybe even a century. And basically, what if you go and look at that, you'll see that they're into almost every facet yeah. of an individual's right, because they really don't believe in the individual. They believe in the collective mm-hmm. group. Yeah, it's all um, collective. Yes, uh, which is diametrically proposed, opposed to what the United States was um, founded on and has been belief system up until this point. And so when you look at that and you see the, the depth entry into, the, into all facets of, of a, a society's life, the life cycle of society, like you say, it's impressive. But again, um, spiritually, we're fighting against principalities and powers. And we know that even Michael the Archangel didn't want to, he wanted to have help. So uh, we're, we're battling some pretty heavy stuff here. And if it is the way that you and I believe, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. If you are an individual and you believe in individual rights, and if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then you're going to run up into some pretty heavy flack before too awful long. Now, the key there is individualism, although they couch it in the word nationalism. And you can definitely see that in the media now where if they say nationalism, it's usually with a negative connotation because they believe that individual countries do not have rights because the world is a collective. The people are a collective and we all have a stakehold in every country's resources and how they operate. And that's what they're moving us to. And like I said, this, this site, if uh, people, if you get a chance, really just go into this, this site and you can spend hours going in because they have an interactive, like I said, it's an interactive wheel where you can go on each line item and they have this all, every single country, every single different area that they want to focus on. What's key here is each one of these areas has a organization tied to it. So, I mean, we're talking about thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are involved in this and organizations are tied to just one little section. It's almost like what you have, you know, what you had in the military, which is each right. area and it's a sub area of a sub area of a sub area. And you don't necessarily know what's going on or the whole picture, except in this particular case, they've given you the whole picture. 
And then they've broken down all the little subgroups to go, you know, underneath that. And one of the main areas that they want to get rid of is capitalism. They will tell you they believe in capitalism, but it's different than what you and I understand capitalism as far as free flow of resources in an economy, a free system. They talk about capitalism in a way which is they have this understanding of a private public relationship. And the bottom line profit isn't really the main reason for a company. It's just, you know, it's just one of the things that if you happen to have a profit, that's fine. If not, it really doesn't matter. And that's different than what you and I really understand as capitalism. We really need to take note that they will throw out words and it'll sound like, well, oh, well, they still believe in capitalism, but it's really not what you and I think of when it comes to capitalism. So what, what's your understanding here of their wanting to have this public-private partnership? What is your understanding of that? Well, what you have, if you think about how businesses in, in our country operate on a, on a normal basis, you have companies that are what are called public companies, and that simply means that uh, they sell their ownership to uh, a great number of people. And if they're big enough, strong enough, have the ability, they go on to one of the stock exchanges and then their stock is traded. Typically, the majority of them are owned by institutions. And this is where people put all of their 401ks, all of their investments. The majority of the middle class in this country have invested in the public companies. We're talking about Apple. We're talking about Walmart. We're talking about Costco, talking about Pizza Hut. We go down the list and just name all of these different businesses that we all utilize. And that money is given to investors, investment companies. And those investment companies then invest in the different companies that are, are operating. That's good. However, problem now that we're seeing is that they become so large that we have one investment firm, I won't name the name of it right now, but they have seven and a half trillion dollars of funds that are invested into thousands of businesses. And they are all in with this new reset, with this new stakeholder capitalism. And what they're telling the companies is that we own sometimes 20%, sometimes 30 or 40%. We own enough of your company that you need to listen to what we tell you. And so the managers of the company are told, you will invest in diversity, you will invest in climate change, you will invest in whatever we tell you. Does it sound familiar? Disinvest in the things that we that they're pushing now is fossil fuels, going toward the green things, which over the last 12 years have proven they don't work that well. But that's irrelevant because profit is not what they're looking for. So no, profit is not the bottom line. Yeah. They're not you know, that's not that. the main goal. If it's a shareholder base, then obviously profit is the main goal. But this is yeah. not shareholder base. Well, it is stakeholder, which yeah. is different than shareholder. That's right. And the problem that we have in this society right now is that millions upon millions upon millions of everyday people have invested their 401ks 
and their annuities into these companies, which now the managers are not listening to them. They're listening to the people that have institutions who have invested in them, and they will do what they say, not what you want with your money. And you have no say in it. So you're a shareholder, but you're not a stakeholder. Yeah, it's much like what you saw when we had the collapse of uh, 2008 and you had, what was that, uh, GM, the bondholders? Yeah. So it has, <laughs> for 200 years, it was sacred in our, our uh, well, that goes back to British law. Yes. Um, that bondholders, you know, they're above everybody else. They're even above shareholders. And under the Obama administration, you know, when that collapsed, the bondholders didn't get their money back. In fact, it went el- elsewhere. Any of that money went elsewhere. And that was the start of this breakup of it really doesn't matter what your uh, stake in the company is as far as uh, shareholder basis or bondholder basis. It's the stakeholders, i.e. the government or uh, government type entities. Yeah. Yeah. And the managers. Now, remember, the, the individual management of these companies cave in or they're kicked off the board of directors or whatever role they're playing in management, they no longer have a job if they don't because the large institutions control them. And we've seen this progression, you and I have. You think all the way back to when a savings and loan was your personal banker. They catered to this middle class. They catered to individual shake of a hand. I'll be there with you even if you struggle. And the savings and loan basically collapsed so that the banks would first control them and then eliminate them because they were for the small business, for the small persons, for mortgage on your building that you're selling shoes or whatever. And that moved into the banks. And you and I saw firsthand on the mortgage industry, the mortgage industry was did uh, loans for small residential they they were there the personal one they they were independent and through the uh, frank dodd act that was even before that it was uh, sarbanes oxley well that's true even even before that it was it was collapsing and so you had a consolidation again and then you had the uh, banks and the uh, financial institutions went from 10 percent of all the deposits in this country to 75 percent 80 percent We even have seen it in the CPA industry, where the small CPA firm has been basically squeezed out, and now you have basically all the large CPA firms handling all the large companies, which have squeezed out the smaller businesses. And now, with this COVID-19, all the small businesses across this country are being squeezed out. You see who falls by the wayside. If you own a small dress shop, you can't have people come in, except in a few states. But Walmart can sell dresses. Well, it goes beyond that. You got the restaurants. You got the restaurants. They're completely destroying the restaurant or the live entertainment industry. You know, a lot of these bars and um, restaurants are not going to survive unless they're a major chain. And that's the whole goal. I mean, you're seeing that in a lot of, of this consolidation, especially... You know, I just went out for uh, Christmas shopping and I mean, these major chains are going to survive because they have a lot of investment behind them 
And also they have access into programs you know, from the government or private institutions that will give them money. But you see in these malls now or these um, big change, but a lot of the smaller ones that we would see in these malls, they're gone. They didn't survive through this COVID because they didn't have the capital behind them to survive. And so we are now just moving to just major chains and big corporations that are running our retail and then actually every major industry, not just retail. Right. And uh, this was purposely done. We, we, we know that. It's, they have been consolidating every facet of every business in this country to eliminate the individualism. Because if you work for just a big company, you will do what you're told or you're fired. You have no control. There's no entrepreneurship. It's, it's being destroyed. But a central government cannot control a lot of small businesses and a lot of individual people. They have to have it all consolidated where there's only a few. They've been doing this for a long, long time. It's just that now it's accelerated and now it's like a snowball. And now we're reaching that point, like what we've talked about, that, hey, folks, it's real. It's here. What choices are you going to make? As I say, we're, we're vast, very quickly consolidating the globalism for the economy. They're globalizing the governments so that they will be under control of regions. And then there won't be individual countries because individual countries speak their own mind. And you can't have that if you're going to have a central government. And the same with religion. Yeah. And well, go back to your, the government you know, the consolidation of the regions. Well, I got three major uh, regions that they want to divide up into, and then they have sub-regions underneath that. You know, you have a North American region, you have a European region, and you have an Asian region. Those are your three main hubs. And the North American, obviously, it's Canada, Mexico, and the United States, but then South America will also be kind of brought up into that, you know, for the North American. But that's really what they want. They don't want this. You know, America has their own thing. Germany has its own thing. Turkey has its own thing. China has its own thing. No, they want these, much like what we see in the European Union, where they have these unelected bureaucrats that are controlling what is going on in each of the individual countries. And the people no longer have a say in what their country is doing. And so what does that mean for the United States? That means, I mean, we could have a constitution, but it really has no meaning if we're under a global system. It's a nice piece of paper, you know, of something that we used to have, but under the new system, you know, we will be under a governance of an unelected bureaucrat, maybe even not even from the United States, that is telling people in the United States what they can and can't do. And they have this detailed system in place of hierarchy, and it just trickles down into all these little sub-organizations. It's a highly detailed and organized. This is going to be thrusted on us so fast, we won't even know what to do. And all of a sudden, we're just going to wake up and some organization is going to be telling us, you have to do this. And there's nothing we can do because our governors or our president or any elected official is going to say, no, that's what you have to do. And if you don't, here's the police officer to take you off into jail. And that's what's coming. 
Yes. I mean, there's no question. There's no question that is coming and there's not a lot we can do because it's, it, it's here. And the World Economic Forum, their January 21st is when they're meeting again. The title of their conference is The Great Reset how they want to now start the ball rolling. And by 2030, that's their goal. So what is that? Nine years. They want an entire world under this global system. And one of the areas that they want would be, you will own nothing and you will like it. You'll own no property. In fact, you won't even own a wristwatch. You'll rent it. That's what they believe is a utopia, is that you just rent things. You'll no longer own anything. You won't own property. You'll just rent it. I don't know about you, but I, I don't personally like that. I enjoy having my house and I enjoy, you know, having things that I own that I know somebody can't take my bed. I don't want to rent a bed. And that's really what they're talking about. Scary as to what's coming. But we know what's coming if we just listen. I'm just remembering back, this is, this is not something that just suddenly came upon us. Oh, it must have been 15 years probably ago that my wife and I went to Europe for about six weeks. And I, uh, I was stationed in West Berlin, so we went back to there. And we have family ancestry from back there. So we went to Berlin. And touring around on with a uh, gentleman that was riding a bicycle, he had a master's degree in economics, by the way, and he couldn't find a job. And this is all he could do is have a bicycle with us sitting in the back, you know, having a, almost like a, a buggy wagon propelled by a bicycle. And he's pointing out all these buildings that they're building. And he says, half the city is empty and they continue to build government buildings. In anticipation. In anticipation. And here we are 10, 15 years later and down the road here, they'll fill them because they'll need a lot of people to put their policies into, into play. They don't like individuals. So you will do as, as you're told. Uh, and as you said, one of the things is the um, free rent. They will institute government care, health care. We went through all of this when uh, Obama first took office that they wanted to put Obamacare in. And that was well, the goal of Obamacare was to get universal care. Get I mean, it, it was written in the law that way. That's right. And it was sidetracked because Trump came into office and they changed it. I mean, they didn't right. get rid of it. But the whole goal was that basically by the 2020s, around now, that Healthcare would be so expensive that people would, you know, force the government to say, hey, we need to have something. And that would be the universal care. And that's how they were going to implement it. Right. It just and didn't that, work the way they wanted it to no. work. Well, it's just it was put on hold for a time. So now it'll come back off the back burner. Yeah. And that's why the mandate was in there is that everybody had to do it. And then they were going to raise, you know, raise the rates every single year to the point where people couldn't afford it. And they would demand that we would have universal health care. Right, right. And you had brought up a point about government buildings. And the point I want to bring up here is this understanding that, folks, this has been in the works for decades. This isn't just something they thought of overnight. This is something that has been planned in detail and has been implemented over decades. 
And I, I would go beyond, you know, 40, 50 years, even some areas. Usually. Yeah. And so we're not going to defeat it by, unfortunately, you know, just electing somebody and, oh, well, now, of course, they'll defeat it. No, this has been embedded in our system and you're not going to get it out. I mean, every facet of our government system, our federal bureaucracy and state bureaucracy and local bureaucracies, by the way, have all been moving toward this for decades. And that's not going to get weeded out overnight. Whether we like it or not, at least some, if not all of this, will be implemented. Yeah, and, and we've said all along, it's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Can it be stopped for a period of time? Of course it can. God is capable of anything. And God could intervene, and we could see a slowdown of that. Or God doesn't intervene, and the last country on the face of the planet that truly has freedom, truly been built on the foundation of God's principles, is soon to go under the control of those that don't have the same belief. And they call it a post-Christian society. And our country really has been operating under a post-Christian society for quite a while now. We, we, we're seeing the government getting tighter and tighter, more and more central. We talked a little bit about the economic systems that are getting in the United States that are getting more and more central. And we've seen the religious side get more and more central. We saw the, uh, the megachurches, people gravitating to those. And now those megachurches with one fell swoop are basically disappearing because of COVID-19. They don't assemble like they did. Like I said, it's, it is my hot button. So I like anytime you bring up the church, I, I throw a little rants in. And part of that is this idea of the program. You know, you walk into church and everything's choreographed and you walk out of church. There's not really much interaction that you have other than that, um, as opposed to church prior to the 80s, 90s where you had these smaller churches and not to say, I mean, obviously I go to a large church and so I'm not dinging on large churches. You know, obviously the first century church was a large church, but the idea of this community and take away the focus of you being engaged in the church life and with other believers and you change your focus to, I walk into a service, you know, I watch a show you know, I may clap and sing and hear a great sermon and then walk out and there's not much there. But what happens in a COVID-19 situation where, you know, now all of a sudden you have to watch it on TV, you know, are you more apt to get up and watch it on TV? I mean, it's, it's like watching, you know, a Netflix show. Yeah. You know, now you're watching service or whatever. Whereas if you were a community-based church, I mean, those are your, those are your people. You want to interact. It's like interacting with family. You want to interact with them. You know, you, you feel a connection with them. And that's going to be the difference going forward is what type of church are you? Are you a, for lack of a better word, a service oriented church as in a sense of program or service, not service in the sense of to your community? Or are you a community based church with the people? And now moving into this great reset, we are going to have to connect with people. If our connection with the church is through a service or watching TV, it's not going to sustain us when some of this harder stuff hits. 
Whereas if we're a community-based church and some of this stuff hits, we can rely on other Christians in our community to get through this and to support us. And that's where I feel like some of these mega churches have done a disservice to the community of believers because the focus is not on community. It's on the show or the pastor. You and I have talked for many years about the above ground and underground church. People thought I was crazy way back when that there'd come a time when the only way you could uh, worship the Lord is through individual homes or through private worship with individuals, as opposed to the churches that have submitted to the government. Uh, I think of Germany. I'll tell you, when, when I visited the uh, Dachau concentration camp, I, I, I was stationed in uh, not only Berlin, but I was stationed in Munich also. And outside of music, Munich was the uh, camp Dachau. And to see the gas ovens, and I mean, it makes it very real. But during the 30s, when Hitler began to take power, they first started with the um, physically retarded children, and they began to have them disappear and eliminate it. People didn't say anything. Then they moved on to the mentally retarded. They moved on to uh, homosexuals. Then they went to the Polish. They shouldn't be around. All of those people disappeared. Then the Jews, people are more aware of the Jews, but there were a lot of other groups besides. Yeah, prior to the Jews. Prior to the Jews, absolutely. Dachau actually was formed for the uh, political dissidents. That was what it was originally formed as a political concentration camp. And then they, uh, they moved others into it, and then eventually it was primarily Jews. But uh, then they killed the Jews. We all know about the uh, final solution which is appalling beyond comprehension. And the church throughout each one of those steps did nothing other than a few pastors because the churches had been taken over by the government. And the churches were mouthpieces of the government or they didn't fit in. They didn't get their social credit. They didn't define it that way at that time, but that's what it was. They didn't squeal on people that violated law. And all of a sudden, they started eliminating Christians. And the Christians said, well, well wait a minute, why are, why are you doing this to us? And they couldn't stop it. It was too late. Yeah, it's Kipling's uh, poem that he had. Yeah. At first they came for the Jews, then they came for the Catholics, and then finally they came for you. Yeah. If you don't stand up for any of those groups, ultimately they will eventually get to you. Yes. Whatever group you are, because you're not part of the top. You're not part of the elite. And ultimately, if they eliminated everybody else, even part of the elite would start to be eliminated. Well, yes. Because again, it has to do with power. It has nothing to do with anything other than power. It's evil. It's chaos. It's evil. You know, an evil person will do anything in its power to get ultimate power. They will continue until they receive that ultimate power. And then they'll find something else to go off of. It's just how evil works. And yeah, I mean, you brought up the story about Dachau and then how the Germans really didn't fight back. I mean, there's stories, you know, where these trains would go by in these communities. Yes. And they, they would be, you know, going on with life like it's normal. You know, literally this concentration camp is miles from where they are. It's like dissidents. They just, oh, out of sight, out of mind. We're just not going to think about that. Well, actually, you know? in, um, in Dachau, 
when President Eisenhower, well, he was General Eisenhower at the time, came and saw what it was. Now, Dachau was actually a, a, a small town, a village, yes. whatever you want to call it. The smell went for miles. I can't imagine the people would not know. They made the troops, the the American troops, made the mayor and every single person in authority and all the people of that village to march around the Dachau and see what it was actually there so they could not deny that it was there. To see the, the, the gas rooms and the furnaces right next to the room where they would they would put the person in the room drop gas because you, you, you could see the um, you know like yeah, the, the chimneys they think it'd be a shower and, and they would put the gas down on them and then they would bring them out of that room and throw them into the big ovens big brick ovens right outside now if that doesn't reach your spirit then you, you're evil <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. You're evil. If that, if you just think, oh, well, that's just normal. Then I'm sorry. You, you have an evil spirit. And that's you not look at that and say it's evil. Dachau was not one of their large camp. It was just one of their first ones. And that's what Auschwitz was. That the big one? Yeah. Well, and understand too. We talk about the German concentration camps, but the reality is the Russians had more concentration camps, literally over the border. I mean, they were next to each other on the borders, you know, not far from each other. And honestly, the Russians killed more Jews and Christians and dissidents than the Germans did. Yeah. And what is the between the two? What's the similarity? Both of them were one was a national socialist party and the other one was a communist party. But they're both part of the same system. Yeah, they were both totalitarian systems. Yes. When we talk about the uh, one world government, the one world economy, and the one world religion, it will be a totalitarian system counterfeit to the system that Christ will set up when he comes back to reign for the thousand years. Now, if that's a thousand or however many years that is, but he will come back to reign. And this is the counterfeit that's coming. That's what people need to understand, that we are now on the threshold of what's coming. Now, how long that will take? Not sure. It can go rapidly. What was you were telling me about? Which country was that? that within two years, it fell. Poland. Poland. It was, a, it was a democracy. And within two years, it was communism. Yeah. And that's what we're that's looking how, forward to. Because the system's already in place. Again, they didn't just raid the country and all of a sudden two years later. No, they had been for years, if not decades, infiltrating at the core points in the government so that when this point in history they count, you know, came, they capitalized on it. Mm-hmm. And they've done the same thing here in the United States where they have key people in power at what they call uh, choke points in our system. And whenever they're ready to implement, they will choke out that portion and literally overnight we'll have a new system. Yeah. Well, I remember back when uh, Khrushchev said, uh, yeah. we, we don't need to come and send ships and all of that. We'll destroy you from within. And here we are.